0: All three of us elders had a, had a chat last week talking about uh, looking towards the future. David anchored the meeting and also um, just talked about faith and the necessity of moving forward in the, in the Spirit. Moving forward in faith and moving forward by the Holy Spirit. Um, I then uh, came up and uh, I spent a bit of time looking back. So I was looking back on all the amazing things that God has done talking about, you know, since when was it that we left Brary, June 2019, all the things that God has done, those have given their life to Jesus, the work that have been done with the youth and with the young people, um, and also the, the, the issues that the last couple of years of COVID has raised, um, and one of the things I remember saying is how, how difficult it has been for our young people and our kids, because for us it's been a strange couple of years. But for them, it's been their formative years, where they've been seeing people with masks on and separated out. And it's been really strange. And I know from my work how difficult it has been for those young people, how vulnerable many feel, how uncertain. Um, And I talked about how important it is that we as a church invest into youth and children. That's what we all feel. And I think there's a sense from all of us, isn't it? That's where we want to invest our time and our efforts and our money. And then uh, Steve uh, came up and he talked a bit more practically. He began to look forward and began to kind of reveal what it was, uh, um, would look like. Um, and, and walking with faith through the next stages. Because that's that idea of investing in the young people. That's what we want to do, investing in them, uh, in our kids and young people, and putting, if you like, financially, putting our money where our mouths are. And so we talked about the importance of working from creche all the way up to secondary age, and that we want to invest in that time. And what that we'd like to do is release Mel one day a week, so that she can invest time in, yes, the creche, Yes, the trailblazers, but also in outreach events to parents, to that age group, investing in that whole area, and how we really wanted to see that grow over the next few years. We then began to talk about the uh, youth who've had a very stormy, a really tough uh, couple of years, haven't they? A really tough couple of years. We want to do that, but not just that, also investing in those who are just coming out of youth. So if you like... Um, the 20s as well and how do we do that and so we talked about um wanting to to raise finance to release uh vanessa for a day a week to work in the youth and 20s and that really then shows us our commitment for all the way from zero to 29 that we want to invest in the new generation um and uh we, we said that what, the way we want to do this, rather than just, just kind of jump in, we said what we want to do is have a Sunday, which I think is in two weeks' time. It is the 30th, which um, is, is when we're giving Sunday or pledge Sunday, when we're going to try and raise the money needed for the first year of those salaries. Um, I think we also gave a bit of a hint that we think this is the first step. Yeah, this isn't the last step of what we're going to do. This is the first step of what God's moving us into in the next phase. So yes, we're looking for one day a week, but how brilliant it would be to get more than that, wouldn't it? How absolutely brilliant it would be. Um, and uh, Steve actually put an amount on that. For the first year, how much we want to raise is t- about £10,600. So that's what we're looking to raise in two weeks' time. Um, and just to, to emphasise, this is the first step towards the next, bigger, more faithful, greater influence at Beacon. That's what we want to do. Um, and, but Steve very, I think, graciously said, you know, there is no compulsion. This is not about guilt tripping people into giving. This is simply encouraging people to journey in faith with us. So it's brilliant if you can contribute with us in a couple of weeks' time. And if you don't feel you can, then that's brilliant too. But it's about um, moving forward in that journey together. And I don't know about you, but I felt it was a very exciting Sunday. I came back buzzing because I really got a sense that God was moving us forward in his purposes and that there was a sense of unity as we were talking about it. What have I forgotten, David? He doesn't think I've forgotten anything. (laughs) but he might mention a few things later very graciously. Brilliant. Okay, so David's going to now come up to uh, speak. Um, I'd just like to pray for him as he does. Um, We want to hear from God. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would bless David as he comes to speak to us. I pray particularly that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit. Bless him with your spirit now. Come, rest on him. Lord Jesus, will you... Be with him to move us forward in the things of God and in the things of the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come now. More of you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Over to you, David.
1: Okay, here we are. Well, I feel what God's led me to say this morning actually lends itself into uh, what we did last week. I hadn't planned it that way and thought that, but having looked at it in different ways in, in Luke 17, I mean, you can be finding it, Luke 17, verses 1 to 10. Um, <clears throat> I want do to do it a little bit differently this morning. Hopefully, that's where, where I'm aiming. I hope we get to, I'm, I'm aiming not to speak for too long or just a little bit over half the time that we thought we speak because I want to give time and space for the Holy Spirit to move amongst us. Um, In our group we've been learning how important it is to give in church is to give space to the Holy Spirit. Um, Big churches can't do it and we know of a church that because they're a big church they couldn't they couldn't do it, so they planned a night in the evening to give space to the Holy Spirit. And the church met on an, on an evening, so that they give space to the Holy Spirit to work. Nothing planned, just the Holy Spirit using believers in the congregation to speak words, prophetic words, words of knowledge, to pray for healing, and to minister to one another, as God led them freely to do. So, so, so that's sort of where I'm going, I'm aiming to do that and to lessen my time preaching. And before you all cheer, you can do that outside later, okay? So we're in, we're in Luke 17, and I think it would be good for us just to read that first, because this is God's Word, and he can just speak to us through this. And I don't know what, as we read through this, I wonder what you'll what you'd be thinking. How, what do you think is coming through the text as we read it together? And um, I struggled for quite some time to see what it is because it seems, in one way it seems a bit bitty, but on the other hand, there's a complete story there, if you see, you'll hopefully see in a moment. But um, connecting stuff together is not always easy, and, um, and it's not easy for us who, who prepare to speak from it. So I'm just asking you what you might think in yourself. So Luke 17, 1 to 10. This is one of these formidable, outstanding, crowd-teaching scenes of Jesus. Um, And uh, yet it begins like this, and he said to his disciples. And just a little bit further down, it says, and he said to his apostles. So there's a crowd-teaching scene here, and yet Jesus is actually speaking individually to different groups of people. The disciples will be made up. Of um, uh, men, women, and children, uh, all crowding round Jesus. And, uh, and there's, a th- there's a thought. There's a thought in, in the text. As you look at it, y- you know, there's those that were standing with Jesus and those that weren't standing with Jesus. Yeah, he said, "These little ones here," referring essentially to uh, people with a childlike faith and uh, even to children. Uh, who had trust, and uh, they were willing to accept what was being told them. Whereas on the other hand, the other group of people weren't quite, they they were listening and criticizing and doing all sorts of things, primarily the Pharisees and the scribes and all those sorts of people. So you sort of get the picture here, There's, there's, there's groups of people that Jesus is picking out, speaking to. But he starts off, and he says to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Is this Jesus speaking? Really? Don't <laughs> you drown yourself in the sea. The sea is a very interesting thing in scripture because later on down in the thing Jesus is the sea again and he talks about the mulberry tree being planted in the sea. That's a strange scenario, isn't it? The mulberry tree being planted in the sea. We also know that the pigs run down the steep hill into the sea. And so there's interesting things going on here. So Jesus has said this. Is it him? Yes, it is. Verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare a supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Just to pick up on where Steve was last week, in uh, the week before, sorry. (laughs) Last time speak about the rich man and Lazarus the beggar. That splendidly rich man who lived in luxury every day was one of those people who stood out like a sore thumb within the culture and the community of the day. Jews generally had an obligation by the religious laws to honour and help the poor, which he totally ignored and demonstrated contempt of humanity for God and for the commands he had given to the prophet Moses. This poor man, Lazarus, got cancelled by this rich man as a human and as a brother and even as part of society. Jesus had said on another occasion, the poor you will always have with you. Wherever you go in the world, somewhere, anywhere, we can find poor people. And if you think about the Ten Commandments, they are mainly about guarded relationships with God, people in society, in family, in the workplace, with ourselves. And that's the two words I want to put together this morning for us to think about. Guarded relationships. We live in a world of relationships, don't we? We live in a cancel culture. Even Liz Truss was canceled before she came, became prime minister. It's easy to cancel people sometimes in our minds and in our thoughts, and the way we speak about them, just by the way they look, or the way they dress, or things they do. And we know, young people know, that that's the sort of society we're living in. People easily get canceled, especially people in high places, and people have important jobs. Those, uh, those people, those celebrities who get canceled. This is the sort of, the sort of culture we live in. So I suppose the passage today is mainly about guarded relationships. As with today, there was a cancelled culture at work, burning deep holes in people's lives. The rich man, he cancelled out the poor man. You say, well, he wasn't a person of notoriety, he was in Jesus' eyes. And they should be in our eyes too. He was a person important to God. And yet by this rich man, he got cancelled. Today, it's very public and it's in our face everywhere we go, especially through social media, cancelling people out. What we say can bring someone down from a great height down very low. We were at Chessington World of Adventures once and we'd parked our car, and then a minibus came in behind and caught the light on our car. And um, someone said, one of the kids of Campbell, Margaret, said to him, you've broken the light on the back of our car. No, he said, you broke our light. And then all these youths jumped out the bang and they went, death to them, death to them, death to them, death to them. How easy it's get cancelled out in similar ways, things that happen in life. Parents and children, Oh. Guarded relationships, how easy it is for parents to cancel their children out unknowingly sometimes, guarded relationships. And we live in a world where relationships have become unguarded, husband and wife, parent and child, colleagues at work. Friends, unguarded relationships. What well, we read in Luke 7, it began with unguarded relationships, wasn't it? The offense, the scandal. That's the word that's used there. We live in a culture of scandal. Someone saying something against another but actually someone causing offence. And this has happened in so many families, so many families where parents have caused offence to their children. And consequently, it's round the other way as children grow older, you find the the children are causing offence to their parents because of unguarded relationships. But Jesus spoke about that sort of relationship. In Matthew, this passage talks about it in the context of the church. If anyone offends you, go and, go and talk to that person and tell, and tell them what, what, what they've done. And uh, if he repents, if he listens to you, then forgive him. That sorts the relationship out. But it also goes on to say, if he doesn't listen to you, then take it to the church and if the church doesn't live them, take it to the elders because of unguarded relationships sometimes things escalate and they get worse and worse but the opportunity to restore relationship in that context is quite clear if he repents or if, if he says sorry if you like then forgive him then forgive him but you see, we live in sort of a culture where that's not happening quite so much. It is happening here and there, and praise God that it is. But in the church context, you have the two things at work, the repenting and the forgiving, and they go together. And forgiveness is one of those things that we're expected to do because Jesus forgave us All our sins. We have to model what Jesus did for us. And Jesus was cancelled himself in order that our sin may be cancelled against us. Jesus is into the work of reconciling relationships. I think it was Paul writing to the Roman church who said, Be reconciled to God. You can do that. Because Jesus has made the way to do it. That powerful teaching of reconciliation, where there have been unguarded relationships, Jesus can make them, put them right. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? There's so many broken relationships, hurting relationships happening in our world. And God has given us the power to do that. And I think especially this is where we need to guard our relationships within Beacon. We're in a season at Beacon where we need to be especially careful about guarding our relationships with God and each other. It also means outside with colleagues, neighbours, husbands and wives, siblings, parents and children. Why now? Why now? As we're making intentional moves in giving into the vision with children and young people, as beacon center doors open in order to connect with the community, Satan's work is to try to scatter the sheep. And if I don't say anything else this morning, from here we need to watch out. Satan will try and scatter the sheep. We need to guard our relationships. In the church, at home, at school, at work, wherever we are, that was the first thing he did when God created Adam and Eve. He came in and separated them from God. The result of his work separated them. The relationship was unguarded. And he goes on doing that. Division division, is the work of Satan in a church context. So God our relationships with each other. Repenting and forgiving is one way of guarding those relationships, very important way. So we need to guard them. Then there's a the relationship within ourselves. When Jesus said to the apostle, when Jesus said to his disciples about forgiving, the apostle said, give us more faith. Give us more faith. And Jesus turned to them, it's not faith you need, it's obedience. This is another relationship, it's not between people, but it's within ourselves. The relationship with ourselves. Jesus said, you don't need more faith. You need obedience. Very often this comes in the context of healing. We say, Lord, well, I just need a bit more. No, you don't. Jesus said, it's obedience you need. He said, go lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And what do we do? We pray for the sick. We say, well, I haven't got enough faith. So there's a, the relationship between faith and obedience is not being worked out, is it? But sometimes all it needs is just do it. Just do it. If we know something is right, we know it's of God, we should do it. But sometimes we don't. We say, well, I haven't got enough faith, which is what the disciples were saying here, the apostles may be. Lord, increase our faith. Mm. There's a relationship between faith and obedience we need to make sure we follow through with. We can easily get into that negative relationship of excusing ourselves when it is just a matter of obedience. I haven't got enough faith for that. I couldn't believe that God would do that. Then there's the last vital relationship that we approach this whole issue with. The servant-master relationship. They were probably saying, well, well, faith will help us get more popular, and uh, if I do do more, I'll become important. Um, No one's ever asked me to do that, and so I'll just wait for them to ask me. And um, Jesus is is probing the attitudes and the motives. And he said, your servants do what is your duty. You get all this trouble sometimes. You know, it's so wonderful to come here this morning, open up this building. There's a whole army of men down there rushing up the stairs to set up this place before we came. Willing to serve, doing a duty. It's, it's, it's so amazing. I felt so good. It's so, so great and wonderful for that to happen. But sometimes when it's come serving, well, it's not for me. I don't, I don't think... I don't know. They're a lot better at it than what I am. And no one's asked me, so I won't um, just remember who we're serving. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. One little life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what I heard. Said in my family, mother heard frequently say, Now I say to you, my word is my bond, she used to say. I won't go back on my word, and neither will God go back on his word either. I think the challenge to us this morning is with all the resources we've got, all the facilities, all the wonderful people we are in Beacon Context, is to serve God. Because that's our duty. He's a great master. And actually, we're great servants, but we don't realize it sometimes. God wants us to serve him, to bless him, and we're blessed through doing that. Whatever we do for Christ will last. That's about motives and attitudes. So, as we enter this season in Beacon, let's think about what we do and how we do it and be willing to always put ourselves forward. To do something for him, because that's how it works. As I said earlier, we live in a world of unguarded relationships, especially within families. And uh, I'm coming to the end now of what I want to say. And it'd be good just to be praying into what the Holy Spirit might do in a few minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. We've got the opportunity this morning to lay hands on the sick, so that way we'll recover. We can minister to one another, whatever the medical problem is. When Margaret and I pray on a Friday morning, we pray against old age. Now you say you are silly guys, yeah? You pray against it, too. Old Age is a cause Satan caused old age, all right? So we come against Him in Jesus' name. And the ways in which God can help us overcome that. All sickness is the result that Satan interfered with God's creation. Jesus himself said, "He's come to steal." And don't forget this: He's come, to, that's his intention. to steal, to kill and to destroy say what how can I ever live or last in this world when he's like that God has given us through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome and to be victorious in situations and it's surprising what God can do even with all the ailments we have sometimes so we can pray about that but most of all this is what I want to think about and pray about as we welcome the Holy Spirit in a moment There's someone, probably more than one person, who's holding someone to ransom. Someone you've had a relationship with in the past, it could be a parent, it could be a friend, it could be an ex-spouse, it could be a partner, it could be a partner in business, or something like that. And it's something you can't get away from, your spirit is in your mind, you just, it keeps cropping up now and again, it keeps affecting you and robbing you of some sort of peace, and you're holding them to ransom, and God wants to set you free from the effect of an unguarded relationship that's happened somewhere in your life. So if you want to and you can stand, let's stand, shall we? And um, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm looking for words of knowledge in the context of those things, words of knowledge, prophetic words, even the opportunity to minister to someone who's sick. not going to prolong this, but if you feel this morning, you have to be willing as we have to be obedient. So if you want to receive from God and healing, Um, just take a step forward from where you are. I haven't got to come out the front. Just take a step forward from where you are.